welcome to the Pac-Man Podcast, Patriotic American Citizen. I'm Ted Flint on the BMG Network. Well, I guess everybody knows by now that Donald Trump has been indicted. He is a man of firsts, first president to be impeached, not once, but twice. Now he becomes the first former president to be indicted. Number 45 arraigned this afternoon in Manhattan, 34 counts, including election fraud. And, you know, this is not the end of it. The uh, The indictment in the Stormy Daniels case is just the tip of the iceberg, a lot of people are saying. There's a case in Georgia, and Yahoo News drudged up some lawyer named Norm Eisen, who says the Georgia case and the federal ones are the ones where jail time is more likely. So anyway, we'll get to all of that. I had a very interesting discussion with one of my colleagues today at work, and I said, you know, there's something about Trump that the establishment fears. The deep state is terrified of this guy. It's Trump derangement syndrome, 34 counts. And uh, a former prosecutor who's on Fox quite a bit, I'm sure you've heard of Andrew McCarthy. He said if Manhattan DA Bragg has charged a whopping 34 counts against Trump in a case that federal prosecutors decided wasn't worth charging at all. McCarthy says it's a classic abuse of power, a bid to camouflage with quantity the case's lack of quality. Fact is, he says, when, a, when serious crimes have been committed, prosecutors do not need to run up the score with a high number of counts. But if prosecutors do not have evidence of a serious crime, by loading up an indictment with dozens of charges, they can try to signal to the eventual trial jury that the defendant must be guilty of something. It's a significant enough due process abuse that the Federal Justice Department directs prosecutors not to engage in it. But of course, that's what Alvin Bragg has done. So if Bragg is indicting 34 counts over this nonsense, it's because he doesn't have one count he would be indicting if he were doing his job right. That's a quote from Andrew McCarthy. Spoke recently with Fox News. Now, another famed attorney, Harvard Law professor Alan Dershowitz, also spoke to Fox News earlier this week. He said the former president is being denied the right to speak on his own behalf. Dershowitz shares his personal experience dealing with the left and their Trump derangement syndrome. They've done it recently. Uh, I was glad to see Joe uh, be optimistic that they're not going to do it in this case. But if they did do it in this case, I would immediately put together uh, some of the great First Amendment lawyers in America as amicus, because we would be the victims. There are two First Amendment rights, the right of the speaker, but the right of the listener, according to Justice Thurgood Marshall, is just as important. But I hope that won't happen, because that would really mean a, 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 a body blow to the First Amendment. And today you couldn't even count on the American Civil Liberties Union to defend the First Amendment on behalf of Donald Trump because they would lose all of their funding. You know, the only disagreement I have with Joe, who's a great lawyer, I think he's too much of an optimist. I cannot imagine an elected judge in the borough of Manhattan throwing out this case and having to go to his family and say, I'm the lawyer who freed Donald Trump or his friends or his business associates. All he has to do is remember what happened to me when I defended, just defended Donald Trump on the Senate, lost all of my friends, clients, business associates, and no judge is going to want to be, quote, Dershowitz. That's unbelievable. And Alan Dershowitz went on to tell Sean Hannity that he voted for Hillary Clinton. He's a Democrat, lifelong Democrat. He voted for Hillary. He voted for Joe Biden, he said. 
in 2020, and he said, I hope to vote for him again in two years. So he's not partial. He's apolitical in this. He wants to see justice meted out properly. Meanwhile, former Attorney General Bill Barr reaffirmed Dershowitz's point, and he tells Fox News, D.A. Alvin Sharpton Bragg isn't pursuing a real crime, but rather a person. I think the case, uh, based again on what's being reported, the case lacks any legal base. It, it, it's pursuing somebody on the... There's nothing inherently wrong or illegal about making a hush payment. They're saying he, he falsified the corporate record. But for that to even be a misdemeanor, you have to be trying to defraud somebody. And it's unclear exactly who was defrauded. This is his own company. And then finally, and most importantly, from the federal standpoint, the idea that this was a uh, campaign finance uh, violation is simply wrong. It's wrong on the law. I mean, there you have it. It's wrong on the law. It's about right and wrong. And there's a two-tier justice system in this country. We saw this during the Hillary Clinton scandal or scandals. You know, they, they always weasel out of, of facing justice. The Clintons did. Biden has so far. He's no doubt his son has and probably will continue. But when it comes to Trump, anything goes. You know, they're, they're going to nail him. Now, Alvin Bragg said today at his press conference that he's about uh, prosecuting white-collar crime, which is what is led, alleged to have happened. Uh, you know, election tampering or whatever, the falsifying business records, whatever the trumped-up charge it is. So it's a white-collar crime, and Bragg says this is what his office is all about. Uh, you know, the, the larger issue here, I think, is that we have, a, we have half the country who despises Trump, not just him, but despises us. And there have been a number of conservatives in the media and in Congress who have called for a national divorce from the communists who are running this federal government and some state governments, including New York State, by the way. Now, how do we do that? I mean, no one's calling for a, a physical divorce. I mean, we tried that in 1861. It's not going to work. We, we don't want that. There needs to be some kind of a decoupling, though, of sorts. I, I don't have all the answers. I've read some columns on it. and Don't think I'm crazy because, I mean, we are a United States of America, but we're not really united in the in the strictest sense. We cannot live under a communist tyranny. And we won't. I won't. We need to develop... Somebody wrote... It was Wayne Allen Root. I read in World Net Daily today or recently. He said, we need to develop a parallel economy. You know, purchase goods and, and services from only people and businesses that represent and share our values. So, you, you, you know, you, you, uh, you give your money to uh, Christians, to patriots, to people who support the things you support. We can do that locally here in upstate New York, instead of going to a, 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 a big-named bookstore or maybe the local bookstore, which is run by liberals and, you know, owned by liberals, we need to have another bookstore, maybe a, a startup business, a conservative bookstore. And we can apply the standard locally, a local arts community, to give the local socialists here in Cambridge a run for their money, and et cetera. You know, that's a, these people are Soviets. It's like a page out of the old Soviet Union. They're intolerant. They, they claim to be tolerant of other people, and they, they claim to want to be inclusive, and they claim to be uh, champions of diversity, but they're obsessed with controlling your life, and they want to eliminate dissent, and they're not going to do that. Don't cow to these people. Marjorie Taylor Greene, the congresswoman from, I forget what state, I think Ohio, no, Georgia, she's from Georgia, she made headlines with her calls for a national divorce recently. And now this uh, this guy, I love this young man, the CEO and G uh, GOP presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy, he's mentioned 
the need for a national divorce. So it's catching on. Here in New York State, there are several bills, or have been in the Assembly, to separate upstate from downstate. Similar bills are in California, of all places. Because you cannot live, uh, it's it, very difficult. We're getting to, to the point where it's hard to live with these people. They're radical. They're extreme. They hate America. They hate white people, although most of them are white. They hate capitalism. They hate the police. They hate the military. They hate white men, specifically. They're a bunch of woke, communist globalist thugs. They're also obsessed with transgenderism. That's their new cause du jour, the LGBTQ community. These people are nuts. They're extreme. And they're trying to destroy our country. They're trying to crash the economy. We've we've had the greatest economy the world has ever known, the greatest middle class the world has ever known. But Karl Marx hated the middle class. He tried to destroy it. And it's happening in this country. The middle class is getting squeezed. It's not an accident. Believe me. I've spent 30, 40 years studying this stuff. They're trying to take away our freedom in increments. And if we let them do it, they'll do it. They'll try. We cannot, we, we, we cannot give up any of our liberties. Thomas Jefferson said this once, or he wrote it, liberty has a natural tendency to recede, and tyranny has a natural tendency to proceed. The people with those ideas, these people who are hell-bent on changing our economy because they claim the, the climate is at, is at risk, it's nonsense. They're trying to destroy the most powerful economy the world has ever seen. They're not Democrats in the, in the strictest sense. Alan Dershowitz is a Democrat, a traditional Democrat. As, as he said in that piece, we didn't hear it, but he said, I voted for Biden, I voted for Clinton, I'll vote for Biden again. He didn't vote for Trump. He's just an honest liberal. There are some today. These people aren't even liberals. They're just, they're communists. They've skipped socialism. They're full-blown communists. And they try not, they don't even try to hide it any longer. For the last 30, 40 years, they've tried to go under the radar. You know, in the 60s and 70s, the communists kind of infiltrated into the environmental movement. But they they don't try to infiltrate movements. They just openly state what they're all about. Well, I can't believe some of the uh, some of the debates in the assembly where I work. I listen to these debates. Some of these young, mostly black and Hispanic people from New York City, they self-identify as socialists. One woman in particular, she identifies as a democratic socialist. So they don't try to hide it. They're Stalinists. They don't know it. They're not smart enough to know it. But that's what they are. And they've gone after a, a former president and, and, and it doesn't end. You know, they want to televise this trial. There's a bill in the Assembly and in the Senate that uh, the Trump trial, whenever it happens, it could be months, could be even more than months. They want it televised. There's proposed legislation, and I guess it's going to be in the within the budget. New York is one of only two states that bars broadcasts from trial courtrooms. But when it comes to Trump, anything goes. Brad Hoylman, Siegel, Democrat, naturally, from Manhattan, said, as the media capital of the world and the venue for the arraignment of Donald Trump, we must change this outdated law to allow the public to witness trials. It's a show trial is what it is. So Hoylman is sponsoring a bill that would pave the way for courtroom cameras. And uh, in the assembly, it's uh, Saul Weprin is carrying the bill in the assembly. I passed him in the hallway today, Weprin. So this proposal introduced as part of the state's pending budget plan would take effect 90 days after becoming law. Now, Trump's trial is not expected to begin for months if there is a trial. Still, the trial judge, I'm reading here in a piece from Zach Williams, would make the ultimate decision on whether to allow cameras in the courtroom or 
with or without state law, but legislation would presumably make the path and argument for them easier. I was reading the New York Post today and a piece by Jennifer Harrison, and she basically lays this Alvin Bragg out in, in Lavender. He's soft on crime. He's a criminal enabler. He said upon taking office, he would not prosecute even some very violent crimes. Almost immediately after he distributed his now infamous day one memo, two police officers were killed. A few others were shot. A 19-year-old girl was shot and killed working at a Harlem Burger King. This guy is incompetent. He's in over his head. And he's somebody with an agenda. He's an, he's an ideologue. He's George Soros bought and paid for. Soros paid millions of his own money to buy people like uh, Bragg and this other idiot in Cook County, Illinois. These prosecutors, over three dozen prosecutors around the country. Unbelievable. There's a new ABC News poll out today or out this week that indicates a majority of Americans are not supporting the indictment of former President Trump. Almost half the country believes it was politically motivated. Half the country? All the country should. Poll out Sunday finds 55% of Americans are not backing the move. First time in history, again, a former president has been charged criminally. 32% of Americans oppose the indictment. 23% say they've not decided how they feel. 45% support the indictment. That's part of the uh, the communist left. Uh, support for the indictment appears to break along party lines. No surprise there. 88% of Democrats, again, they're socialists for all intents and purposes. They believe Trump should have been charged and he has been charged. 62% of Republicans say he should not have been. 62? Why not 100%? Or at least 88% like the Dems say he should be. Republicans are pathetic. Another 20% were not sure. They're brain dead. A plurality of Americans, 47%, say the charges against Trump are politically motivated. And that's, I don't, I don't see how you, you, you couldn't think that. I, I just don't understand it. An even larger majority of Republicans, 79%, hold that view. A plurality of independents, 48%, they decide elections, independents. And 64% of Democrats naturally take the opposite point of view. I get a you know I get a kick out of these Democrats. They they in the media they're they're cheering section in the in the media. They're handmaidens who carry their water for them. They've harped on this insurrection crap for two years now, over two years, and you had hundreds of people supporting President Trump. They flooded the Capitol to object to what they saw as a faulty election. They believe the election was stolen. A lot of people do. Now there were a few bad actors, a few dozen bad actors. There's a retired newspaper editor. He's an author of What Matters Most, God, Country, Family, and Friends. He explains why a thousand people have been accused of crimes and jailed. Another thousand are predicted to face arrest, and the messaging continues unabated. Frank Mealy, in an article at Real Clear Wire, said, No matter how Merrick Garland, the AG, or Joe Biden spin it, this is not about justice, but about eliminating the biggest threat to Biden's re-election. He points out the Democrats say that January 6th was the worst attack on American democracy since the Civil War. They call it an insurrection. It was nothing of the kind. But if it was the worst since 1865, no one but a fool would dare claim it even remotely approached the scale of that war. 400,000 Americans perished in that war, the war between the states. How many people died on January 6th? a handful, and they weren't shot to death or they weren't killed by Trump supporters. 
The only person who was shot was Ashley uh, Babbitt, a Trump supporter, an Air Force veteran shot dead by a Capitol police officer. That was the only shot fired on January 6th. Anybody who believes otherwise is a fool. It was not an insurrection. It was a defense of democracy, American democracy, or more accurately, the American Republic. It was not an attack on it. Yet somehow the Democrats, these are the same Democrats of the Democrat Party that started the Civil War. Yet according to Mealy, he says somehow the Democrats were able to use the January 6th incursion of the Capitol as a means to terrorize their political enemies and to punish those who used their rights of free speech and free thought to question the legitimacy of the Biden presidency. That was perfectly put. You can't even question the legitimacy of that election. If you do, you're a, a domestic terrorist. You're dangerous somehow to the regime. It's like we're living in Soviet Russia. I've said it a million times. I, I believe it's happening slowly. People, you better wake up. You better wake up. You can't let this happen. If you see it happening, even in, in your local school district or your local town or village board, nip it in the bud because it's not something that happens just in New York City or in Washington, D.C. or in Oregon or, you know, uh, out west. It, it's happening all over the country in every city and town and village in this country. We're beset by the same cancer that is engulfing our capital, our federal capital and our state capital frankly. We've got to nip it in the bud. So that's about going to wrap things up. Say, if you like what you heard, hit like, hit subscribe, and hit share. Share what you heard. And, and uh, we need subscribers, too. And tell your friends about the Pac-Man podcast. We do this at least once a week. And we also write columns under the Pac perspective. You can go to the bmgnetwork.com for those. And if you, you know wherever you listen to your podcast, that's where we are. Apple iTunes, Spotify, you name it, we're there. And we're happy you're here listening to us. Tell, tell a friend about the Pac-Man podcast and all the fine podcasters we have up there for you on the BMG Network. If you want to contact me directly, it's Pac-Man, P-A-C-M-A-N, at thebmgnetwork.com, all lowercase. Thanks for tuning us in. If the Lord wills it, we will talk to you soon. The Pac-Man Podcast was produced and edited in the BMG Studio. Music by Kevin McLeod. For more episodes of the Pac-Man Podcast, go to the bmgnetwork.com or go to the BMG Network on Facebook. And be sure to tune into the next episode of the Pac-Man Podcast with Ted Flint. Ted Flint.